Hello, and thanks for joining us for another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a fresh and insightful interview featuring one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. You can subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. And if you're enjoying the director's cut, please take a moment to like, share, or comment. We love hearing your feedback. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Marty Noxon's new film, To the Bone. The drama tells the story of Ellen, a 20-year-old anorexic who has failed at various recovery programs in the past. Desperate for a solution, her family sends her to a group home led by a non-traditional doctor, whose rules force Ellen to truly confront her addiction in order to find a path to survival. To the Bone is Ms. Noxon's feature directing debut. Her other directorial credits include episodes of the television series Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. After a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Ms. Noxon discussed the making of To the Bone with director Rick Rosenthal. During their conversation, Ms. Noxon talks about how her frustration on a writing project led to her desire to direct, how she applied her skills as a showrunner to the position of director, and how the connection she shared with the film's star, Lily Collins, aided in their approach to the lead role. Marty, that, that's an incredibly powerful film, and I've now seen it um, three and a half times. <laughs> and I saw it at Sundance, and I've seen it um, twice more, and then a little bit tonight. And uh, w what's interesting to me, it's kind of fascinating, is that it still affects me emotionally, and that's very rare. And um, so, so tell us a little bit about the origins of the project and how it came to pass. Um. Well, I, uh, you know, I had been sick with anorexia from the time I was about 14 until I was almost 10 years, um, anorexia and then bulimia and then combo platter. Um, and for years and years, I sort of would tell the stories like they were funny. Um, and some of them are funny. Like, you know, my stepmom really did give me a cake in the shape of a hamburger. <laughs> Um, for my birthday, um, and uh, but you know, I would tell these stories, and people would say, "You've got to, got to write this," um, and I just couldn't crack it. And then uh, a couple years ago, um, I finally, I think it was, I, I saw, I read *A Fault in Their Stars*, and then I saw the film they made, and I thought, you know, it's easier. I, I think I learned at the School of Joss, um, you know, that genre containers can hold any kind of idea and I sort of, for me, sort of seeing it as a genre movie in this tradition of the YA melodrama um, kind of cracked it um, and I could see that I could, and I, you know, it's always weird when you're writing something that's loosely based on your own story. I've always really avoided anything too literal but over the last four or five years I started getting a little more like, here's the, here's the movie about my red balloon, you know. <laughs> Um, and well, but what I thought was so great was, uh, you know, it was very apparent that it was very personal. But at the same time, um, for me, y y you amazingly skirted the melodrama. <laughs> and, and I think that it's infused with a certain amount of humor. And, um, and in many ways, 
for me, the riskiest performance is Alex's performance. And I will admit that when I saw him, uh, his entry, I was like, uh-oh, there's <laughs> no way this guy can pull this off, can stay at that level. And, and then I thought he was, in many ways, the glue. I mean, she's amazing, and yeah. I think she's so watchable. And yeah. she seems to have learned about stillness and silence and trust. But he had to keep all the plates spinning. <laughs> and just when you thought he, he's not going to be able to pull this off, he had such an honesty underneath. And I, I'm curious, we'll get to her because I think she's yeah. fantastic. But what was, I mean, first of all, how did you find him? Well, we had an amazing uh, casting director, Rich D'Elia, who's actually going to do Dietland for me for AMC because um, he's just, he did Dallas Buyers Club and he did Short Term 12. And um, uh, our one of our producers introduced me and he, he just has exquisite taste. He just has the most amazing taste and we you know we it's hard to cast men in movies about women um at least in my experience they they you know to get Keanu and Alex was key um and and Alex um I'd seen him on Broadway uh in the curious incident of the dog at midnight I believe <laughs> it, it has one of those tricky right. titles um and I remembered him. Obviously, he's you know he's incredible in that. But he was traveling. He's like he's like a real person, also. You know, he he he's interested in other things, and he he'll just take off and be somewhere in the world. And um, so I had to cast him off Skype, and we just had this conversation. It was one of those weird weirdest things where I felt like he sort of just came out of the computer screen and and was right in front of me, um, and I, I just trusted my gut that, and it wasn't the way I'd seen the character at all. I, I thought of him much more as kind of a, a stand, you know, a more standard issue, fey heartthrob, you know? <laughs> and I definitely saw him as somebody who seemed more um, overtly, potentially gay, like someone that you would read as gay even if he wasn't, and that just isn't sort of Alex's vibe. Um, but that was just one of those great gut, moments because when he showed up you know I hadn't thought of him as being British and we thought he was going to do an American accent and then he came in and did his American accent we were like no you're British <laughs> he just hadn't had time to prepare so right. well I, I thought um, across the board all of the characters grew on you and and um, I felt we were watching this kind of family that had occurred over the course of the therapy weeks <laughs> and and you know so you, you sort of got involved emotionally, obviously in the main story, but you were kind of riveted by everybody else's story. Um, and, and how did Keanu get involved and what was that like? Oh, it's funny. I mean, that was the hardest role to cast. I, in a weird way, I thought it would be e easy to cast because I thought this is going to be, you know, this great, you know, this is this great charismatic guy, and these are scenes you can really chew on. And, um, and no name actor even few of them even bothered to respond and um even though we would send those letters of like your daughters your wives you know like this is important um but then um one of the same producer who brought rich lee to us is actually his half sister and had not wanted to take it to him because he always says no to her projects um and also i think she was just like i can do it by myself and um finally you know we were we were coming up against um, Lily's availability um, deadline and um, so she was just like okay I'll show it to my brother and to her surprise he said well I'll meet with Marty and 
they have someone in their life who well, had anorexia. Once, once he met with you, it was all over. Oh yeah, yeah. He he literally rolled up on a design a, a, a motorcycle of his own design and, and manufacturer at the chateau and like came off the motorcycle and took his helmet off and I was just like, this isn't happening. Like <laughs> this isn't real. But um, but he actually is this incredibly sensitive. He's really um, he feels he feels very porous to me. If you know what I mean. Like he you have to be protective of, of him when he's letting himself be vulnerable like he would much rather shoot and kick right i mean i felt <laughs> you know being um sort of looking at his performance I, I almost felt like it's the fullest emotional performance i've seen him give and it was at times i felt almost like his body didn't know what to do with it <laughs> that it was you know his his um standing by the doorway in her room when he was talking, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a little bit like, exactly. where do I put my hands? And, yeah. and let's talk a little about Lily. How, did you know her? I Had didn't. you? No. Uh, was she somebody that was suggested to you, or was she somebody whose work you had seen? How did that come about? Again, that was all um, rich. Or saying, like, I think you know, I think she's really special. And a friend had worked knows they um, know Warren and Annette uh, uh, really well, and and. At, you know, she asked because they'd worked on a film together, and she asked um, them about Lily, and Warren just said she's, you know, incredible. Um, so we met uh, at the Chateau because that's where I meet movie stars. Um, and you know, there's these weird things. There were these things that happened during this, and I don't always know what I believe, but sometimes the, the synchronicity kicks in, and you're like, oh, I just gotta go with this. And there were so many little things with the film that like that. Um, and one of them was that we sat down and we sort of chitty-chatted and then she said, what's on your wrist? And I have a tattoo here and my daughter and son's initials are on there, L and J. And it's um, and we she has an incredibly similar looking tattoo with the initials L and J. Right. And it's for her name. And I re when I got the tattoo, I kept saying, no, J first, L second, because, you know, son first, daughter second. But she got it wrong. And and this weird. And years later. And years later, out. it was this kind of weird bonding thing between me and Lily. Um, and of course, she she just, um, you know, she grew up with a famous dad, and you know, had a, a fancy. Do, do people know that realize that? Dad is that Phil she's, Collins. Right. Um, but didn't grow up with him. But sort of grew up in a sort of fancy, you know, aura. And I feel like people like that can go two ways when they become of it completely and they're grasping at this idea of stardom or two, they sort of see through stardom and they go, that's not the, 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 that's not the end. That's not what I'm trying to get. I'm trying to actually do the work. And Lily had that grounded thing. Plus she just had a little sparkle and I was like, Eli's going to be kind of a bitch, you know, <laughs> like she should have some, some And she did. Sparkle. I mean, I thought that, you know, I thought that she managed to straddle the dark side and, and when Alex says, you win, you're the prince of the princess <laughs> of darkness, I mean, that worked. But at the same time, you saw, I think part of what makes the uh, film so special is you saw this life struggling to get out, to be released. And it wasn't like, um, so often I think when you have sort of a bratty teenager or, or a young adult who's angry, um, you get only that side. And so it, it's hard to root for her. But... I found myself rooting for her entirely the whole time because there were glimpses. Um, she did. She put a cover on, right. but we could see it was the cover. Um, what was her process like? Did she do research? Did she obviously lost a bunch of weight? 
Um, what was that like? Well, she also had been anorexic. So the second thing that happened during that meeting is she said, I knew that whoever wrote this had been through it or had someone close to them. So um, it was a kind of, it was a very delicate balance of preparation and, you know, she wanted to lose some weight because she wanted to feel it. Um, she wanted to be in that space, but we were also very cognizant of the fact that, you know, too much weight loss could trigger it. And, um, so we had her work with a nutritionist, not just during the film, but after for a while until she gained the weight back. Um, and you know, I, I can say it now just because it's proven to be true. My gut was that this girl was not going to go back there. She might toy with it, but she was, she had such a strong core and it was a, a long time for her since she was really sick, but you know, it was a struggle. And, and unlike Alex, who just stopped eating and lost 20 pounds, like, um, and then the day he could eat again, sat down with a bowl of ice cream and a giant plate of food. I was just like, nobody said to him, you look great, but people did to her. Like they, so it was again, this kind of um, process of, of just talking about it a lot and talking about how she was feeling. And then, um, you know, she did, she, she went and talked to doctors and she and I went to a recovery group together and talked to women in a, in a rehab. And, um, um, she did a bunch of sort of, you know, where is the disease now, um, research, but we both had lived it. So there was a lot of, um, there's just a lot of spirit of recovery on the set and we tried to keep it, Keep it light and fun, which I think I learned a lot of that from you. Um, you know, not from the, not from the Prince of Darkness. <laughs> I was Rick's assistant for four years, three years, maybe more. Maybe more yeah, I think there was a point when you finally said, "I think you're done." Um, I don't think I ever. No, said no, that. you I didn't. Think no, you said to me, "I think I'm done." <laughs> no, I think okay, you were just kind of like moving on. You moving have, on. You have grown. Your your apparent uh, boredom with this uh, position is is becoming obvious. <laughs> So, this is your first feature film. Yes, it is. And you've had a very successful career as a screenwriter and as a writer, producer, and showrunner in television. At what point, and, and uh, have you directed before this? I directed a few episodes of TV. I directed some Buffy, and then I directed, um, sort of in preparation for this to get my, you know, sea legs back, I directed a, an episode of Girlfriend's Guide. Um, so, it was really new the right. whole the whole um but in a weird way all that tv experience was great because when they said we only have four weeks from lily's availability date to shooting i was like okay here we go you know just go <laughs> and what um coming from i mean i always feel that um writers craft craft words and ideas and directors craft images mm. and i'm curious at what point did you decide that you wanted to to move over from crafting words to crafting images, and what was what was that about? Well, the precipitating event, and it's funny because this movie came out on Friday. Um, I got hired to write um, the Glass Castle, based on Jeanette Wall's um, memoir, and um, and I, Jeanette and I really connected, and there was a lot in that in that story that that I could relate to as a child of like a lesbian hippie and a, and a, you know, uptight, um, Brit, <laughs> you know, like, um, uh, the, this sort of chaos of my upbringing, I really related to it and I kind of dug into my own story to write that script. And, but I, I had a really strong impulse that the tone needed to be, um, more like James Brooks, um, terms of endearment and less, 
um, heavy and and because a lot of the point of her book was you grow up with these you know if you grow up in a traveling circus there are these horrible things that get that you later have to reckon with you know the uncertainty and the instability and all those things that get labeled abuse and some of them are um, but at the same time there's this joy in it too because you're just you're with a traveling circus right, right? and so I really related to that and. Um, so the draft that I wrote had a lot of humor in it, and tonally I was trying to find that sweet spot of really, really could go really dark, but but it felt like it had a, a buoyancy carrying you through it too. So you so until the very end where you just go, you know, gut punch, um, and and the Jennifer Lawrence was attached to Star, and everybody read it, and they were really enthusiastic, and then no director wanted to do it. They all felt the tone was off. And the whole time I was like, I know what the tone is. You know, I was so frustrated because I could see it in my head. And I knew what I, I thought it was supposed to be, but nobody was asking me again as a screenwriter. Like, again, nobody, everybody said, well, we thought we understood, but now the directors don't get it. We don't get it either. And pretty soon I was, you know, off the project. And, right. and a really capable, wonderful director came to do it. But... It was a heartbreak. It, 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 that was the first time in a long time that I'd let something get uh, on the film side get close to me, and I was like, and and that was the moment when I was like, the guy who got this movie directed a film that was in Sundance, and people think he's a director now, and he is. But that's I, I finally had that moment of like, you got to do, you got to do it. You can't, and and because I was seeing in pictures too. I was not just seeing in words anymore. Right. I was, you know, I'd right. been doing it for so long and you watch people direct and you and you take films apart and you look at what things are effective. And um, I realized that for a long time I'd been writing more visually than I'd realized. So um, I think that I just decided that I didn't want to just be the writer anymore. I wanted to live and die by my own sword. <laughs> And having directed in television, did you, I mean, I'm curious, I obviously have some opinions about the difference between directing in television and the directing in features, um, but, I'm, I'm, but I'm not a writer. Right. Uh, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a produced writer. <laughs> I'm an unproduced writer. But um, I'm curious, uh, you know, you've been on, you've been a showrunner and you've been uh, on that side and you've essentially been the, um, in many ways, the divining uh, and defining creative force as a producer, and suddenly you are now um, expected as the director, <laughs> um, particularly as the writer-director, to be the defining force in a feature. And was that what did you feel there was a transition, or did that feel pretty natural because you had actually sort of done that role but just never been called the director in television? I mean, there, I think there's two. But yes, both. Um, on the one hand, I, th I felt like, oh, a lot of these muscles, um, you know, it was funny because people would say, like, one great thing about you as a director is you're so decisive. And I was like, aren't directors really decisive? Isn't that? And they were like, oh, no, 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 not all directors are decisive. Um, but that muscle gets flexed really frequently when you're on a TV show, as you know. You just have to make decisions. You have to listen to, and you also have to delegate. You have to really trust you know, you have to find a team that you respect, and and once you realize that the the um, the the vision has been communicated, um, 
I, in order to have a life, step back and usually let people do their jobs. Um, and not all people are like that, but it's the only reason I can do more than one show or um, do a show in a movie and um, is because I also love watching what they make of things. So a lot of those skills felt like, oh, you know, I know how to do this. The part that felt um, just like a, a gift was the... Um, I mean, as little time as we had, it felt like so much time to think about one script, you know, one 90-minute, you know, or 100-minute um, piece of material and, and to keep going over those choices and really challenge it and, um, uh, and, and, and dream a little bit, you know. Um, I think that at one point one of the producers said something to me about, like, because I kept wanting to bring in my TV people, um, and she, you know, who I felt comfortable with, and she kept challenging me to be like, well, just meet this other person, and just, um, and all those different people, from the DP to the production designer to the costumer, like, every one of them elevated what I was seeing in a, in a new way, and um, I just loved, I love that, and it's interesting, because on Dietland, which I'm prepping right now, you know, I, I basically went in and sold them the project and said, and guess who's directing me? Um, so, we're, but we're able to import some of that. You know, I learned how to make a vision book and, you know, bring bring a whole new language because we came up with a language for this film. Like what, what um, you know, each, each section has its own sort of visual rules. And I found that so helpful that now we've imported that back to, and the line is getting blurrier, I do think. That's what I wanted to ask yeah. you. I mean, I, I feel like, um, I, I often wonder going back and forth when I'm working in television, I worry a little bit that um, in the desire to meet the schedule and to sort of get along with everybody and not, <laughs> um, and not, uh, shake things up too much, that your aspirations and what you strive for gets curtailed a little. And if you curtail that enough, then when suddenly you're turned into a bigger arena, you've lost a little bit of the vision and the uh, willingness to, I mean, uh, there have exactly. been times where I've gone to the set and I've gone, well, I know I could do this in six hours and it would be fantastic, but we don't really have six hours. So I'm gonna do the three hour version of it. And the three hour version of it is not the six hour yeah. version of it. And so there's a little bit of a battle that mm -hmm. goes on. But I guess my question to you is, as the writer and the director, did you get, um, did you find that sometimes your the, the role of the writer was in conflict with the role of the director even though they were both <laughs> the residing same in the same person. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I think that um, because I was close to it too, the writer was really stuck on some things. <laughs> um, the writer got stuck on certain scenes or words and, um, uh, and, and the, you know, the, the part of me that, um, you know, that was learning the scope of a film and all these things would get a little more aspirational about stuff and be like, yeah, you know, you could, this could be better. This could be, this could be trippier. And, and I have a harder time with, weirdly, uh, have a hard, harder time with editing because I, I see it as like sitting there with, you know, your failures and trying to, instead of some people are like, oh, you get to edit it all over again. I'm just like, I see what isn't there. Um, so um, I think that like the, my first cut was really, quite literal about like what we shot. And right. so that's where I feel like the writer and the director really 
came into conflict. Like I was like, and then this happens and then that happens and that seems really important and so many, there are big key moments that we ended up, but again, like the luxury of time. I also just thought we had to cut it in like two weeks and they kept going. Where, no, you, where was your editor from? How did you find your editor? Um, well, uh, how did we find it? Um, he, he, you know, I think that was a, a, a straight up, like we submitted to agencies. He'd done the film Chronicle, which is really different, mm -hmm. but I loved that movie. And, um, and it was great because we had really different strengths, you know. Um, uh, but then we ended up, he ended up having to go take another job. And so we had like three different people, which actually made the sometimes, film so much better. Sometimes yeah. it works. Sometimes it doesn't. You yeah. Know what I mean? yeah. Sometimes just a new set of eyes coming in at just the right time. Um, you realize that things you thought you needed, you don't. And mm -hmm. things that you thought were clear, um, the audience yep. is a little puzzled. You know, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, so it's helpful sometimes to have um, new eyes that come in. Yeah. And and the other thing that you said that I really um, just am in, you know, heated agreement with is um, uh, taking off the, the TV hat, which is always about getting it done um, one way or another. And, and, um, and, I also just as a, you know, as I want to get along, want people to like me kind of person, um, there, there's just times when you need, I think as as a director, uh, I just needed to learn and continue to need to learn. To, there are times when you should dig in and mm -hmm. and say, no, nothing else will do. <laughs> I need that, um, right. that, that jib arm. Right. <laughs> right. Or, you know, that extra camera or right. whatever it is because I, I just i am always trying to creative problem solve and it's true that some things just aren't as good, doesn't look as good. And I just worked with a director who's mostly a feature director on Sharp Objects and watching him just, you know, in, wait for, insist and wait for the clock to run down. It was really uncomfortable, but he wouldn't back off and I'd be like, what's somebody gonna do? And then all right. of a sudden HBO would have more money. Right. I'd be like, oh, that's what they did. Right. He just waited them out. Right. <laughs> you know? no, doesn't always a, work. I mean, the politics are, you know, are always fascinating. Um, I find sometimes as a director that um, when you have a writer, there are things as a director you're processing and you know intuitively a way to approach something. And sometimes it's very hard to verbalize <laughs> and you can't quite exactly explain why you don't think you need those lines or why you think the scene is too uh, verbal at some point. And, and um, when you're both the writer and the director, <laughs> Um, sometimes I think it's hard because you can't, you, you know, you're, you're, it's harder to exercise the pure director instinct or mm. intuition of, no, no, I just, I just sense I don't need that. Well, I mean, it's funny on, on this next project, I keep thinking, who's going to keep me in check? Who's going to cut my lines, you know? Um, but, um, but again, that's why it's really important to me and I think to all you know, people I admire to stay really open and to, to listen. And, um, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, another great thing about directing for me as a writer though, is even sometimes, you know, you know, this when you're working for, especially network television, the, 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 the line, you know, the notes you get about clarity and everybody has to explain everything and you have to know exactly what's going on. And I tried really hard with this movie to, to let there be ambiguity and let, you know, my, my, my biggest hope was that, that people would come away with different opinions about certain characters. And I, I wanted it to be, um, to, to be a, a, 
for lack of a better word, for a kind of a living thing, meaning you, you might have a different experience of it. than the, I, I just didn't want it to be reductive. I didn't want the dad to show up and be like, here's why you're sick. Because um, <laughs> um, that's just not my, my experience of, of having been sick or, or you know, getting better. Um, but, but one of the great things about directing was just seeing how much an actor can do or, a, or the way you shoot something can tell the story. And I'll write things now knowing, like, I'm not going to, I won't be in the... You know, because the actor's going to act it. It's yeah, going to be I think awesome. You learn, I think you <laughs> learn about this actor trust and about mm -hmm. how the right moment of silence just goes so far. And she, and Lily had such an expressive face, yeah. and she could sort of tell a whole story with no dialogue. And I thought that was great. Um, I want to circle back for a second about what you said about who's going to keep you in check. <laughs> and and one of the things I found um, was that you want to be surrounded by people who are not yes people, but who also share your vision. Yeah. So when you do uh, find somebody that um, is honest with you, they're honest in a way that you understand when they are reluctant about something, it's because they're actually making the same movie that you mm. are. And one of the problems That's I've always seen um, as a director is that when you sort of pull everybody around you, um, you need to make sure that they're all making the same movie. And I, I've been on a set where I'm the director and I think I'm making a romantic comedy. The DP <laughs> thinks that he's making an action movie. The producer thinks that it's a genre picture. And and the studio is not really sure what we're doing or how they let us go in the first place. <laughs> and, and so, you know, that's very tough. But over the last couple of years... Um, when I'm directing, there's a producer that I've, I met years ago doing television, and I just found that we were so much on the page so often that very often I would say to him, "What do you uh, take a look at this, what do you think? Yeah. And I remember doing a film in Europe many years ago, and, and the producer and I uh, were just so in sync. Mm -hmm. And I was doing a, a scene, I was blocking a scene, and he came over and he said, Rick, I don't think this works. And I said, no, actually, it doesn't work yet. <laughs> but give me, like, I'm rehearsing it. Give me five minutes. And then, if you think it doesn't work, then we'll deal with it. But l l let me get it to where I wanted to present it to you. Because mm. uh, you're here a little early. Right. And right. so You missed your um, cue. You're just yeah. a few minutes early. Yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> then we worked it. And we worked it. And then I said, okay, I'm ready for you to watch. And he says, oh, it's great. I don't know what I was worried about. Right. <laughs> but, but I think that what happens sometimes is... And, and and I think that happened, I mean, kudos to him because he was able to say not, oh, I'm being kicked out right, right. or threatened, but he was like, okay, that's, I mean, that was a great producing moment for him. And the right. net result was that what we thought we were making, we ended up making as right. opposed to um, people getting in the way sometimes too early and not realizing that, yes, they're going to get their chance to... Yeah. Give you input. Yeah. But not at that moment. Yeah. No, it's um I, I've I've grown more and more certain that one of the key jobs of a showrunner and, and a director, because there are overlaps, is really you you hold the narrative, meaning people forget what the story is about. So you need that nugget, you need to hold it really tight what the story's about and then tone you have to hold the tone and if you can do both those things and make sure that everyone's rowing in the same direction um you know that that's the most that's when i mean i feel like handmaid's tale which was on recently held the tone beautifully and i was like somebody 
they were rowing in the same direction. Right. They knew what show they were making. Right. But directing has helped me um, do that, do, uh, communicate more effectively. Like now, I understand using visual references, and now right. I understand bringing in, you know, all kinds of things to show the vision, so that everybody's going like, okay, like. Well, I always thought, you know, running a show, one of the um, keys was to get actors on board who sometimes weren't 100% on board because they thought it was always about them. And then, <laughs> no. and then you gave them a chance to direct. And I mm. remember doing Life Goes On and giving one of the actors a chance to direct. And he was like, oh, my God, where are the actors? I mean, why am I waiting for the <laughs> actors? And I'm like, well, sometimes we have to wait for the actors. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the next couple of weeks after he directed, boy, was he out of time. his trailer on time. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of time, I think <laughs> that we are we are almost out. I wanted to ask you two really quick questions. One, uh, one of the things that, one of the big differences between television and features is the length of time that you end up directing with no break. And mm. very often when we're doing, um, working with a first-time director, uh, who comes out of commercials or short films, you know, uh, I say to them, well, you know, what makes you think that you're going to be able to get through this? And they're like, well, you know, I've done commercials. And, and I go, and <laughs> how, many days, uh, how many days in a row did you shoot? And they went, oh, well, I shot three days in a row. And I was like, well, you're about to shoot 25 days in a row. And so I think there's a difference in kind of stamina and attitude, and you get beat up. I mean, yeah. 25 days of shooting yeah. is is um, five weeks yeah. or, or four weeks, depending on how it's broken up, yeah. um, in which you have to sort of get up every morning and say, I'm the leader of this <laughs> band, and and as my attitude goes, so goes theirs. And so... Um, um, yeah, it's funny, and, and, you know, funny story. I was... Um, Five months out of rehab, and my dad was dying. So, <laughs> yeah, I had to go experiment again with some things, and I'm better now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, my energy was all over the place. Um, I would just, whenever we had a slightly longer turnaround, I, would, I needed to separate myself from, from the noise and, and just be quiet. Um, it's something I've learned that I didn't know about myself, which I, I have a slightly isolationist balance to the extrovert and so I just found quiet time and I'd take some deep breaths and Red Bull was my friend and um you know I just but I think that figuring out what sustains you and gives you that second win for me it was finding some time to go close my eyes and just breathe and I guess it was meditation in a way just a little dose of meditation and um and then uh yeah and then three days before we wrapped uh, my dad went to the hospital and he died five days later so it was, um, you know, it was all meant to be the way it was. I, I don't always believe that about things. I don't think everything's meant to be <coughs> politics. Um, but, uh, but I do think that... Um, well, that if, we, if we come out the other side, it's meant to be. Yeah, right. That's how it always goes, right? If we don't blow up, it's just what was meant to happen. Um, so, yeah, that's... That. All right, well, we need to wrap up, but uh, I just wanted to reiterate again how, um, how powerful I think this film is and how pleased you should be. Well, thank Especially you. Especially as your first film. Thank you, Rick. <laughs> da, da, da. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. You can check out past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website at dga.org slash podcast. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. 
We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.